In addition to Matthew chapter 9, um, we're going to be studying from Luke chapter 8 and, Mac, and Mark chapter 5. And all three of these books in these chapters tell two stories that we're going to go over today. And that's the healing of the woman with the issue of blood and the raising of the little girl from the dead. Um, so let's, let's set our eyes on the Lord and let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you capture our hearts. And we thank you that here in the midst of worship, Lord, we are touched and we are changed, Lord, right now. Lord, we're not the same from when we walked in, but Lord, I thank you that you're not done. So Lord, we yield the, uh, the fullness of who we are to you. Our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our wills. Lord, right now is an act of my will. I just yield to you. I say, Holy Spirit, let it be Jesus who is heard and exalted and magnified. And do that awesome thing you do, Holy Spirit, where that you personalize this word for each one of us, where that it just nails the center of our heart and that we are changed and impacted. Let your word just come alive to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pushing our way through the crowd. Ignoring what people say. Excluding people. Kicking people out of the room. What rude behavior. What rude behavior that we're going to study that we're supposed to emulate. That we're supposed to adhere to. That we're supposed to follow. Tell you what. Nothing boring about Jesus Christ. Let's read Matthew chapter 9, but we're not going to stay for long on Matthew 9. Um, Matthew 9, we're at verse 18 right now, 18 through 26. We're going to read this passage, but I really want to move on to, to Luke and Mark to, to read the retelling of these stories. But since we've been in this series on Matthew, um, we're going to read it here first. So Matthew 9, 18. While Jesus was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread all through that region. We're going to dig a little bit deeper in Luke and Mark, and uh, like if there were any, myself and any two of you, and we went and experienced an event, we heard of events, we had an event told to us, there would be different things that stood out to us from that event. There'd be different things that we chose to camp on. Different things to say, this is what impacted me. This, when I'm telling this story, this is the thing 
that really stood out to me. And so when we read through the Gospels, we, we see the same thing. We see what impacted Luke isn't quite what impacted Mark, which isn't quite what impacted Matthew. Um, and so uh, as we stayed on our series, we're going to quickly jump away from Matthew um, and dig a little deeper. So I want us to read in Luke chapter 8. Um, and as we're reading, isn't it awesome that, that as we read his word, there really isn't a whole lot of elaboration needed. I mean, I get up here and I, and I talk and I elaborate, but I just want to remind us all, the word of God, it, it stands on its own merit. Amen? So Luke chapter 8, 41 through 48, I'm reading in the NIV. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. If I can stop right there. When we're reading the word, this isn't, this isn't literature. Um... It's meant to impact us. It's, it's meant to, to relate to us and where we're at. This is God speaking to us. And, and so yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm impacted by this. When I read this and read about the young girl who was sick, who was to die, and she was 12 years old. I got a daughter that's almost 12. You know, I, I, I can't read this without putting the face of my beautiful redheaded daughter in this story. Um, and here's my encouragement to us, guys. We're supposed to let the Word of God impact us. Our, our emotions, our heart, our mind is supposed to be yielded to God. Um, we're not covering ground when we read His Word. We're letting Him speak to us and we're letting it hit us and impact us and change us. As Jesus was on His way, the crowds almost crushed Him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, "Uh, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Pressing in to God. Pressing in to the Lord, into his presence. Why do we think we can't do this? Do we think we'll annoy God? Do we think our persistence will annoy Him? This woman didn't care if her persistence annoyed God, right? Why aren't we more persistent? Why was she persistent? Because she was desperate. She was desperate. She had tried everything she knew to try. For 12 years, she had tried every doctor. She had spent all of her money trying to find a solution. And she was desperate. Far too often, we are not desperate enough for God's presence in our life. Far too often, we are content 
with Jesus being a part of our life. But we don't want to let him too close. We don't want to press in too close. We don't want him to consume our life. We just want Jesus to be a part of our life. Why? I don't know. I don't want to appear weird. I don't want to appear different. I don't want to appear pushy. I don't want to push Jesus down anyone's throat. Whatever our reasons. Friends, we're, we've got to have an air of desperation in every day that we live. In every day that we live, there better be an air of desperation. For what? For Jesus. For more of Him. For a life consumed by Him. Sometimes being a little pushy is exactly what we should be. Let's jump over to, to Mark where Jesus had just performed this miracle. So in reading Mark, uh, the account up to this point, Mark had told the same story and then Mark moves on. So in Mark chapter 5, verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said. But that word overhearing what they said, another translation of it is ignoring what they said. So ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, and this is to the father who just lost his daughter. Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. They gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Uh, before I move on, you know, one of those interesting, why would, why would they tell her to give something to eat? Why would Jesus say, I'll give her something to eat? Um, has anyone found that a little interesting in this story? I mean, she's, she just was risen from the, from the dead, and he's like, now feed her. Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, Jesus cares about our tangible needs. He cares about our physical, tangible needs. And, and we can never take that too lightly. The second thing, ghosts don't eat. Ghosts don't eat. And what Jesus didn't want to happen was for some weird urban legend to begin this day of the girl that died and then her ghost came back and then she haunted everybody. So don't go to that into town because this, you know, the, you know, he did. No, it's like, no, ghosts don't eat. Give her something to eat. Feed her. Let people see. This girl, this is not some weird spooky. She's alive. She's alive. Pushing our way through the ground. Ignoring what people say. Excluding people. Kicking people out of the room. 
we see this rude behavior in all three of these books and chapters. But what are the more important things that we see? Being healed from 12 years of suffering. Not letting circumstances stop us from seeing God's glory. Surrounding ourselves with those who strengthen our faith. Raising a dead 12-year-old girl. What glorious results as a result of such rude behavior. We need to care more about what Jesus wants to do than what we do about what people think. We need to care more about what Jesus thinks than what tradition or popular opinion says. Cool little point of similarity in this story. And once again, friends, as we're, as we're studying the word, let's not miss these, these cool little nuggets of things that just kind of stand out at us. Twelve years. Twelve years. The little girl was twelve years old. The woman who had been suffering with the issue of blood had been suffering for twelve years. Twelve years of life followed by death. Twelve years of death followed by life. And Jesus moves miraculously through both lives. God is glorified through both circumstances. It's just one of those things that you look at and go, Lord, you're, you're pretty cool. I love the part when Jesus puts the people out of the room. He says, I see something that you guys don't see. I see the Father's plan. I see the Father's will in this. She's, she's not dead. She's asleep. And they laughed at him and they mocked him. And he had one real easy, real obvious solution to this. He kicked them out. <laughs> get out. Everybody, get out. But, but you don't understand. I'm, I'm the favorite neighbor. I don't care. Get out. You ain't got no faith for this. He, he kicked everyone out and said, Mom, Dad, come back in. Disciples, come back in. We're going to need witnesses to what my father is about to do. This is going to strengthen your faith. There are times that we have to have the wisdom, the discernment, and then the boldness to kick things out of our life. Or or at the least, to just place it outside a little bit. Place it beyond that sphere of influence. What are the areas in our life where we need to be tenacious, desperate, pushy, pressing our way into the presence of God? What, what are the areas of our life that we've thought if we just sit back and that, that it'll come to us, but the Lord's saying, no, I want you to press in. I want you to desperately need me. I want you to desperately be impacted and changed by me. Are there people or things that are in our life that keep us from walking in faith and action. Their influence is great in our life. In fact, it's too great. 
If someone's influence in our life is greater than the influence of Jesus Christ, then that influence is too great in our lives. If we care more about what other people think in our lives, then their influence is greater and, and there needs to be an adjustment in priorities. The influence of Jesus Christ in our life needs to be first. We choose him. In, in, in serving the Lord and in walking with him, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that everybody who is ungodly, or, you know, that's a part of our life, we kick out of our life. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what it is. Jesus didn't kick them out of the house. He just kicked them out of the room. He just kicked them out of that place where he needed faith and people of one heart and one mind and one accord. So I'm not saying that anyone who doesn't believe, you know, we're to be intolerant of everyone who, who doesn't believe what we believe. That's not what I'm saying at all. If you guys know me at all, you know that's not what I'm saying. But there's times realignment's needed. But I'm not going to lie to you. There's times that we need a cold turkey type action in our life where that we say, this can no longer be part of my life. And I walk away from it this day. This can no longer be a part of my life an influential consuming part and it needs to stop. This day I need to walk away from it. It can no longer be in my life. There's no there's no easy my way out of it. There's no, you know, multiple steps. This day I, I look to you, Lord, to be my deliverer and to take this from my life and I choose to walk away. And sometimes that thing is a person. There are times. I don't believe that's the norm. But are we willing to? Are we willing to place him first in our life and to say, Lord, uh, I forsake all to follow you. James chapter 4, 4 through 7. It's a, it's a great passage of scripture. James 4, 7 is one of those verses that I think everybody should have memorized. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is one of those great verses. When in the midst of difficulty and hardship, we say, Lord, I submit to you, and I resist the enemy. So in the name of Jesus, Satan, you must, you must flee. You must run. But here's what that whole passage, 4 through 7, says. It says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. What is being said in this passage? What's, what's the heart of this message? What's being said? Quite simply, don't cheat on God. James calls them an adulterous people. You know, what is adultery? Unfaithfulness. Cheating. Don't cheat on God. Don't give your heart or your life or priority to someone or something ahead of God. 
Get rid of the fear of man that wants to please men more than pleasing God. In, in my home, ever since our kids were young, and, and I love being a dad. I love my children. I love holding them and kissing them, and I can't kiss them enough. But from the time they were young, they understood, because Kara and I made sure they understood that there was godly order in our home. And that order is this. God is first. God is first in our lives. I, I'd, look, I'd hold the kids and I'd say, I love your mommy, but you know who I love more than your mommy? Jesus. I love Jesus more. And your mommy loves me. But you know who she loves more than me? Jesus. Now, there are, there are communities of people that would just shriek at that and say, you have just ruined your children. You have just ruined your kids. You have just made them totally disillusioned. Well, actually, I've done worse. Because I take it a step further. And then I look at my kids and I say, I love you. I love you so much. But I love mommy more. She, after Jesus, she is number one in my life. And then you guys, you guys are, are, are next. You're number two. You're a strong number two. And there's not even a close number three. <laughs> People freak out at that. They're like, you can't do that. You can't. Yes, I can. Because it's true. Why? Because there's godly order. There's godly order. There's a priority in my life. And in that priority, Christ comes first. When I was courting Kara, when I was courting my wife, and I know courting is kind of an old term, but you know, I am 65. I just look young. <laughs> when I was courting my wife, I, I laid some things out for her, and I said, if I don't do these things, I'm not the man you think I am. And I've cheated on God, which means I will cheat on you. I laid it out there. I laid it out. I was, I was very bold. I was even more bold when I was younger. I threw it out there. And I'm like, if I do these things, I'm cheating on God. That means I'll cheat on you. And you need to run away from me. And she looked at me like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> but it's true. God comes first. He, he's the lover of my soul. Why am I camping on this? Why am I making such a strong point? There needs to be godly order in our lives. And it doesn't matter if it's not popular. And it doesn't matter if it seems pushy or weird or strange to other people. We need to, to be so needy of God. I'm a needy man. I need Him every single day. I need Him. Now, I think I'm strong. I have a certain measure of strength. I have a certain measure of, of do-it-ability. That's not really a word. But you know, I can get things done. But I need Him. I need Him. That's why I start the day saying, Lord, I need You. Whatever You have for me, the measure of strength You have, the wisdom You have, I need You. Lord, I, I don't even want to think about going through this day without You. I need You. And then at the end of the day, I say, Lord, thank You. Lord, I give you thanks. I give you praise. I exalt you. This is a, an incredible passage of Scripture that shows the faithfulness and the power of God. But it's, it's a good reminder that we can't be so consumed with other people 
that we don't let God capture our heart. We need to be pushy when it comes to the Lord. We need to push our way through the crowd saying, I need him. And you know what? If I can just get a, just a touch of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I will be whole. I need him. What did Jesus say to the father when the report came? Hey, your daughter's dead. Don't, don't waste the teacher's time anymore. The first thing Jesus did was ignored him. I love it. I love it. He just ignored him. They don't know what they're talking about. Trust me. They don't know what they're talking about. Trust me. They mean well. God bless them. They mean well. They don't know what they're talking about. Trust me. That's what he said. If you would just believe. I know that, let me back up. You know that I'm a pushy guy. That's, I'm pushy. A little loud, sometimes annoying. Lovable, yes, but you know, sometimes annoying and, and pushy. And I know some of you, that's not your personality. But it needs to be when it comes to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means there better be a part of our day that we're insistent is His. And we don't let them be a part of our life. Let them be our life. We don't give them uh, a piece of the meal. He's the feast. He's the reason we're there. And we need to be insistent upon it. There's times we need to have date night with Jesus and no one else is invited. I'm serious. I'm totally serious. My, my wife, anytime if she's like, hey, I just need to go be with Jesus. God bless you, honey. Tell him I love him. Tell him I said hi. When I go and, and I study, I get out of the house. I get away from the house. Why? Because I just want to be alone with Jesus. I want to laugh with him. I want to go, dang, that's awesome. That is good. Can I use that Saturday night? Because that's good. And I'll write it down when he says I can use it. If our uh, musicians and worship team could could come forward. What I want more than anything, what I want more than anything when it comes to this church is what Jesus wants. I shared this with a friend last night. What I want more than anything is a people who are deeply, deeply in love with God not religious, not faithful attenders, faithful givers of their time, of their money. People who are passionately and genuinely in love with Jesus. And there's there's no way to do that if we just say hi to them on, on Saturday nights when we come here. There's no way to fall passionately in love with them if we just see them once a week for two hours. Think about all the great romantic movies. Yeah, they're kind of cliche, but at the end, the girl's leaving to go on a plane somewhere. You see Europe. And the guy runs through the airport. Why? Because he's desperate. He knows if he doesn't get a hold of her right now, that his life will never be the same. Friends, that 
That needs to be us with Jesus. Jesus, if I don't get a hold of you right now, I'm not leaving this building until I get a hold of you. Lord, worship was good. The word was okay. But Lord, I'm not leaving this place until I touch you. That's the desperation we're supposed to have. That's the desperation we're supposed to have. Worship starts. Lord, I so need you. Lord, I'm so desperate for you. Lord, I just, I need your healing and your touch. Lord, I'm needy. But I'm yours, so touch me. In giving him our hearts, we've got to be willing to say goodbye to things that influence us more than him. Young people, let Jesus be the influence in your life. Not popular thought, not pop culture, not not friends, not the popular crowd. Let Jesus be the influence in your life. Care what he thinks more than anyone else. Friends, our God is awesome. He's alive. Jesus is alive. And we, we can have relationship with him. But let's be desperate. Let's be desperate. Let's acknowledge we're desperate. Let's acknowledge we're needy. We don't like to acknowledge weakness. I'm okay with acknowledging weakness. Lord, I am weak and you are strong. And I need you. 